You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Right? There are lots of ways that God describes his relationship to us throughout the Bible. One of those is like a parent-child. Um, but one of the primary ones that, that is cited is the idea of a marriage. The idea of a marriage. Like in Isaiah 62. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And Jeremiah 2 uh, and, and, and when, when the people of Israel are not being faithful to the marriage, this is what it says. Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornament? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Okay, Ephesians 5. I love this one. Uh, again, talking about how God's relationship to us is a marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Are they talking about marriage? This is a profound mystery. No, I am talking, but I am talking about Christ and the church. There's a oneness that happens between Christ and us, the body of believers. There is a marriage. And even in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So marriage is the prominent, one of the prominent ways that God chooses to describe his relationship to us. So a little quiz. Fill in the blank. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Marriage is a painful experience. Marriage is the most difficult thing you'll ever do. Anyone says that? It's a challenge. Marriage is the best thing you'll ever do. A lot of people agree to that. Yes. There's a lot you could say. I, when I, when I told my wife I was going to make a joke right here, she's like, she like looked at me and was like, it's not funny. I'm like, all right, I won't say it. Well, why do I talk about it? Because marriage is a covenant. And and I, and I did hear that, but you guys buried the lead. So I didn't want to honor you just yet. But marriage is a covenant. A covenant is a unique type of relationship that God specifically chooses to use to describe his relationship to us. So the question is, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a relationship that two parties come together in that even when it's not beneficial for each other, you remain in in the relationship. The exact definition uh, that I pulled from Miriam and Webster is a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement, right? There's something that binds the two parties together that there's actually a consequence if you don't fulfill your end of the bargain, right? So at the end of, of a wedding, uh, when they say their vows, what do they end up doing? They go and they sign, they actually sign a legal document that says, hey, I am with this person and they're with me, right? So that's what a covenant is. Now, throughout all of our relationships, there's primarily two different types of relationships that we have. There is covenant and there is consumer. 
Are you guys familiar with what the difference is? A consumer relationship is a relationship that I am in when it, the end result benefits me. When it benefits me. It's a relationship I'm in when it benefits me. So an example of that is, let's say I'm buying an appliance for my home. And I could either go to Lowe's or I could go to Home Depot. Now at Lowe's, it's $1,000, but at Home Depot, it's $800. Where do you think I'm going to go? I'm going to go for the $800. I don't want it to be cheaper, right? Because why am I in the relationship with Lowe's and, and with, with Home Depot? It's a consumer relationship. It's, if you meet my needs, I will give you my coin. But if you don't meet my needs, I have no obligation to shop with you. I'm going somewhere else, right? A, a, a covenant relationship is one that you're in even when it doesn't benefit me. Right. And I think a lot of our relationships span over the spectrum of both of these. Right. A parent child relationship, very covenant oriented. A marriage, it's very covenant oriented. Maybe some of you even have friends that your relationship is more like a covenant. And then a lot of you have friends that, you know, your relationship is more like a consumer. Whereas if it's beneficial to your friend, they're there. But if it's not beneficial to their friend, they're out. Right? And what kind of friends do we want? We want people who live more on the covenant side. And you see, God uses marriage to express what a covenant is like and what his relationship to us is like. That never-ending commitment. That thing that even when it doesn't work out for me, I'm in. I used to ask uh, couples when they were getting married and usually at the wedding rehearsal, uh, we'd get around with the families and I would ask the parents of the bride and the parents of the groom, hey, what's the secret? What advice would you give to, uh, to, to, to your kids and to young married couples? And it always surprised me what they say. You would think they would say things like, oh, just, just love each other every day. Never heard that one. What I heard regularly was learn to forgive. It's all about commitment. It's all about continuing to show up. And why do they say that? Because it's not easy. It's not easy being in relationships. But when it's done well, when it's done well, it's so beautiful. Have you guys, do you guys know any couples that I've been married for just hundreds and or hundreds of years for, <laughs> for 50, 70 years, yes. you know, where they just, I, I, gosh, you see a couple once in a while and they've been holding hands and it's just like, they're just glued together. Why? Because they literally are their marriage. Their lives have been just, what, how, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Klaus, how long have you guys been married? 60 years. 60 years. Wow. wow. Awesome. Awesome. When I see couples like this, it, it just melts my heart. And it's something that I want. And I think that's something that everyone wants. And, and it's so beautiful when they become such one. They, begin, they become so unified that when, when one passes, the other passes right away because they just can't live without each other. Right? This is the kind of love and commitment that God wants to see in our lives with him and with each other. But unfortunately... How do we really see it? Like, I feel like, I feel like if you look at the divorce rate in, in our country, if you look at how passionate people are about church, I think they're more like this. 
right? Where it's like, yes, I'm totally in until I find someone better, until I'm busy, until you lose your good looks, until we have problems, until we have sickness, right? And I think this is exactly where the church is sometimes, where we look at God and we say, hey, when it's convenient for me, what's the the number one growing uh, spiritual category or or, or, uh, in uh, the United States is, is spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You hear a lot of people say like, oh, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. I'm here to tell you, that's not possible. What you're saying is, I want what's convenient. God, I want you for just what you can offer me. Versus, hey, I want you regardless Whereas I want your church regardless, regardless of the good, regardless of the bad, the rich or the poor. That is what covenant is supposed to be. <clears throat> Almost coughed in the mic. There are uh, a couple covenants throughout the Bible, and we're going to spend time looking at one. But I just want to name a few real quick as we begin. I'm trying to hold my coffin. Ugh. Coffin. Noah. God made a covenant with Noah. Uh, How did that one go? Flooded the earth, came back. Okay, we often think of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law as this stipulation where God is like, hey, I rescued you people. Now you guys listen, here are the 10 commandments. Is that what it is? No, it's a marriage. And in fact, actually the language of being redeemed and rescued were things that would get recited at Jewish weddings Uh, as symbolizing the the love that the two parties had and the type of relationship they were going to have. So it's not a list of rules to obey. It's an agreement of both sides. God will do his part and he will be the people's God and they will be his people and vice versa. The people will do their part and they will, they will have God as their God and he will, and they will be his people. It's a relationship. Same with David. He makes David a promise to be a great king, to build a temple, and and also to have uh, an even greater king that was going to come through his lineage. And then we have a very special covenant that uh, we're going to talk about at the very end. Can you guess who that is with? So now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis Genesis 15. I want to explain what a covenant is. And so today, my my goal for, for today is to explain what a covenant is. And we're going to talk about what covenant people are. And then next week, what we're going to talk about is what covenant people do. And there's going to be a little bit more action. So Genesis 15, if you guys have it, you guys can follow along in the screen or you can open up your Bibles. This is your promise. Your your nation is going to be so big of the billions and billions of stars. The promise is pretty huge. 
Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It was Abram's belief that gets credited to him as righteousness, not his action. It was his belief. It was his trust. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How do I know that I get your promises? What's the sign? And here's what happens. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. This is a very fascinating thing right here, right? He says, how will I know? What sign will you give me? And what Abraham's basically saying is, how can we know that we're in an agreement, that you're going to take care of me, that we're in a relationship, that we're going to partner in this matter? And so what does he do? He says, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Does he give him any other instructions? No. But look at what he does. Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. Uh, the birds, however, he did not cut. What is he doing? He is taking the carcasses, the three animals, he's cutting, he's butchering them, and then he's laying them on two sides, splitting them in half. Okay, now for us, this is like incredibly barbaric, and we're like, what the heck is going on? But that is not the case. Abraham, he knew exactly what was going on. And this in ancient cultures was a way that they made an agreement with people. It was a way they ratified a covenant. They didn't have paper and pen. They, so what they would do is they would literally butcher an animal. They would put it on both sides. And then usually the lesser of the two, so a king and a servant, and a servant would walk through and say, I give my oath to the king. And if I don't fulfill the oath, let this be my fate. Basically, let me get split in two. Death to me if I don't obey what I have promised. Okay? Do you guys get what's happening here? They're setting up a time for an oath. Now, who do you think should pass through making the covenant? Well, let's see. As fast as it goes. The birds of prey came down, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own, and, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Look what happens. Tells him the story, says, hey, this promise, you're not even going to be able to experience this promise. But no, here's what's going to happen. And then at the end, this is what God does. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. You see, there's this great tension throughout the entire Bible. You, you, you read it in lots of different places, but 
it almost as if God is saying, hey, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey me, you'll be cursed, right? Like you have a role. You have a role. Uh, like as an example in uh, Zechariah 6, what does it say? And they talk about like the building of the temple and, and the restoration. And it says this will happen if you what? Diligently obey the Lord your God. A little workspace for there, right? But then you also have on the other side, uh, lots of phrases throughout the Bible, just like Deuteronomy 31, where he says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So which is it? Which is it? Where, where's the tension here? Is it, hey, I got to behave. If I don't behave, God's not going to bless me. Or is it, I'm with you no matter what. Right? This is a great tension. And if you understand this tension, and if you understand how all of these relationships have gone throughout the Bible, you will realize that God is up to something and it will teach you something incredible about the gospel. So what's happening? Look at all the covenants. How did the covenant go with Noah? Right after he makes it on land, does everything go well? No, he doesn't. Noah gets wasted. He gets shamed. It's a bad scene. How about Abraham? Does it go well for Abraham? No, his family is quite a mess. Okay. And that family becomes Israel. How does Israel do about fulfilling their covenant on Mount Sinai? Not very good. And in fact, they receive curses. Where does their curse take them? Takes them to Babylon. They get removed from the land over and over. Okay. Someone comes in and conquers them. How about David? How did that go? His, his children blew it again into exile, not to mention some of the, the murder, some of the bad parenting. I mean, it's just a bad, bad story. So when, when will the people truly be faithful to God? Well, God says, I'm going to come and do it. And he does it through Jesus Christ, right? This is the gospel of Jesus, right? It's in Jesus that this tension is rectified. It's brought into its fullness, into its beauty. And it is through Jesus that we enter into a brand new covenant. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus has become the guarantee of a what? A better covenant, something new, something awesome. In Hebrews 9, the author goes on, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Since a death has taken place, since it's been satisfied for the redemption of our transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. Remember all those first ones, Noah, Abraham, Israel, they never fulfilled their end of the bargain, but yet the new Adam does, Jesus. And, and just my, my favorite passage, uh, this has just been such a blessing to me this week as I, I think about how we are now receiving Jesus's record. You know, even as a pastor, I have these days where it's like, I love Jesus. Like I'm, I'm pretty committed to you. Like I'm, I'm doing it for a career. And yet I stumble day after day. I fall short with my wife. I fall short with my kids. I, I let my coworkers down. I turn in my PowerPoint late. <laughs> it's over and over again. And yet just, just resting in that idea that now it's Christ's record, that Jesus did it both. I, I can say I'm faithful because Jesus was faithful. 
And look at what 2 Corinthians says. For no matter how many promises God made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. Through Jesus, I need to say amen to the glory of God. That now I'm in a new relationship. I'm in a new covenant. That actually I become the new temple. That the Holy Spirit comes down. Right? It is through him. Through him. Now it is God who makes both us, you, me, all of us here stand firm in Christ. And Jesus is completely faithful. And then we become new temples. And we have this new thing. Do you see how big God's covenant love for us is? Covenant is a relationship you're in that costs you something that you stay in, even when it costs you something. And it costs God the life of his son, but he did it. So now we are covenant people. So what do you think we are supposed to be doing as covenant people? We're supposed to be living like Jesus. And Jesus gives us a new command. Right? What does he say? Love one another. You see, a covenant says, hey, through thick and thin, when it's good, when it's bad, when it's easy. And let's be honest, it's been a rough season. It's been a rough season. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Hey, if God is calling you here to this place, are you willing to join the covenant? Because it is how we love each other. It is, it's not how we do through the easy times. It's how we make it through the difficult times that will speak volumes to the world around us. It will see, it'll be how we love each other in our groups. It'll be how we love each other in our church. It'll, it'll be through that commitment that people will go, wow, what is it about those people, those covenant people? What's different about them? I want what they have. Are you a covenant or are you a consumer Christian? I struggle with this too. And thank God our record is not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus did. And that's why we come every Sunday as a church. We come together. We come to worship Jesus because he is worthy of our praise. And the other thing that we do and that the assembly has been doing, the body of Christ has been doing for thousands of years is to take communion. That we meet together. And we gather with this little piece of bread and this, this little cup of wine, the cup, the blood of the new covenant, the sacrifice, the splitting in two that promises that God will be faithful to the very end. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.